You might want to turn to the passage, um, Luke, the Gospel of uh, Luke in the New Testament. We'll be turning to that later on, the 11th chapter. Um, and uh, this coming week really is, uh, is a very special week for us. I'm really excited about because it's a, a week where we want to, what we're calling it is our, our breakthrough prayer week. The word breakthrough has been mentioned a few times this morning in the worship. And uh, this coming week is our breakthrough prayer week. And, uh, and what I mean by that is, the reason why I'm excited is because breakthrough prayer, when we talk about that, I'm really talking about, I guess, prayer that, that truly and clearly changes things. Prayer that is effective, as it were. Prayer that is answered. Prayer that's breakthrough. And so during this week, there'll be a number of uh, opportunities to really gather together to pray. So for instance, this evening, tonight, I know it's Mum's Day. Happy Mum's Day for all the mums here this morning. But hey, what a way to spend Mum's Day. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Um, it's not just for mums, it's for the whole church. If uh, you can make it tonight, 7pm at the offices, the church offices just down the road there, we want to gather together and we want to pray. We want to see breakthrough in some areas. And then again on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday evening at 7.30pm, so that's a half an hour afterwards, uh, tonight 7, Tuesday night 7.30, we want to gather the church and again, as many as, as possible, to pray, to really cry out to God and look for breakthrough. Not only that, but uh, the Connect groups this week will be uh, running as they usually do. But what we're asking is that during your Connect group evenings, you give a significant time of the evening to pray, to agree together, to pray for breakthrough in uh, issues you may be facing or other issues in the church. We'll put it out there where we need to see breakthrough. Uh, and then again next Sunday morning, part of next Sunday morning, for a few minutes at least, we want to be standing to pray for breakthrough. That word this year that to tend to have, this year would be a year of breakthrough. So in prayer, we're chasing that. And then also every day, I hope you don't mind about this, but you'll be receiving in your inbox, <laughs> just when you thought you could escape, uh, you'll be receiving encouragements to prayer every day and, and maybe some ideas to pray for. And some of those ideas will be more personal, be about family. Uh, other ideas might be about the church, things that we're going for as a church. We need to see God break through on and also beyond the church too. We want to see God break through in uh, the nation and beyond too. So we'll just put uh, just little snippets, encouragements to pray. Every day we'll send them out by email because uh, we need to see God move. And we've got that word from him that this year is a year of breakthrough. So I'm excited about this week. I think it'll be good. It's not the only week we'll do. We'll do other weeks during the year too. And uh, so just to flag that up. And to help us launch into this, because we feel so strongly about this, we didn't want to just drift into it, but to help launch us into this, I wanted to try this morning, I guess, to refresh you in one simple truth, really, overall. One simple truth. And I, I say simple, but it's actually the thing that we so easily forget. And it's simply this, that prayer is one of the most practical things you can do. All right? It is one of the most practical, one of the most tangible ways, I'll put on the screen, one of the most tangible ways you can see God break in and bring about change in your life and those around you. It is practical and it is powerful. 
Something that many of the saints, of course, in the past understood. A few examples of that. We all know about Martin Luther, great man of God in the Reformation. He simply said this, I have so much to do today, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Amen. And that's a guy who understood that, however busy he was, he knew he needed God to break through for him. Prayer was a non-negotiable, it was practical. Of course, the great preacher, Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, famous saying, he said this, a man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. And what he really meant by that is simply this, it's only as we pray that anything meaningful happens through us. Prayer is powerful and effective. And I want to refresh you in this again today because often I think we do lose sight of this. And maybe it's because these days there are just so many other helps out there that it's so easy to turn to instead. I mean, there's so much out there, isn't there? You know, whether it's um, good stuff as well, medicine, doctors, great, great stuff. Or whether it's like life coaching or self-help books or, you know, financial repayment plans or insurances or online support groups. I actually tried to find the, the number of how many online support groups there are out there and nobody knows. It's so, there's so many. Millions of online support groups. There's, there's so much out there that we, can, that we can turn to instead of prayer. And so in the end, prayer can become the thing you turn to when, you know, you've tried everything else. And I wonder how many of you have found yourself saying this. I know I have, you know, we've done all we can, uh, let's pray. And... Uh, that's a shame. So I wanted to take a moment to try and persuade you again that prayer is the most practical and powerful way for God to bring change into your life and those around you. Amen. And secondly, I just wanted to touch on this as well. I wanted to look briefly at what breakthrough prayer at least looks like scripturally. What it looks like. All right? So it's really those two things. I want to just pray before I do, actually. Because how can you talk about prayer without praying? So I'm going to pray. Father, I want to thank you for the incredible privilege that we get to talk to you. That we get to come before you. Look, I would never be able to come before, I don't know, the President of the United States or maybe not even the Prime Minister's office here. But Father, I get to come before you. I'm in your throne room. The one who's above every rule, authority and power. Wow. Father, thank you for that privilege. I pray that even as we talk about prayer, you would come upon us and put it within us a new passion to pray in amen. Jesus' name. Amen. amen, amen, amen. Excellent. So, number one, number one, prayer is the most powerful and practical way to see God break in and bring about change. The reason we can be sure of this is because the Bible tells us so, so incredibly clearly. All right, you can see it throughout Scripture, but even if we just focus on a few chapters, for instance, uh, John 14 to 16, don't worry turning there, but if you know John 14, 16, you'll know it's that, that portion of teaching that Jesus gives to his uh, disciples just before he goes to the cross. So it's a crucial body of teaching. But even in that last great teaching that he gives to the disciples, you know, he talks about effective prayer at least six times. At least six times. So, for instance, in John uh, 14, Jesus says, early in John 14, he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, that's a very clear promise. 
Later on in John 14, he says this, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If I hadn't got through to them yet, in John 15, he says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then in John 16, in cases they've already forgotten, he says, he says very truly I tell you, my, my, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Later on, a few verses on, he says this, until now you've not asked anything for anything in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy will be complete. In other words, I want you to be full of joy, so ask. And then later on he says this, a few verses on, in that day you'll ask me in my name. Uh, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. In other words, in other words the Father himself wants to answer your prayers. All right? So however you look at that, these are amazing promises. Ask and I will respond. Very simple. And uh, a great, really, really good theologian, Ronald Dunn, says off the back of these verses here, he simply says this. He says, look, God speaks to us in a language we can understand. And God's word to us is, he responds to our prayers. That's the way he said it, and that's the way he intended us to take it. In other words, don't make it complicated. Because the promises are simple. The promise is, if we ask, he will respond. In the same way, if we do not ask, then he has nothing to respond to. And so James says in James chapter 4, you do not have because you do not ask. Mm -hmm. So therefore, on the basis of these promises, we've just seen on the screen here even, on the basis of these promises, uh, again, Ronald Dunn, he makes a little statement which I think is true. He says this, we do not pray by default because there's nothing else we can do, we pray because it's the best thing we can do. In other words, we know the promises of God. Prayer is not to be the last thing we do after we've tried everything else because we know his promises. It's the very first thing we do because it's the best thing we can do because it's the most effective thing we can do. So everybody, Let's restore prayer to the top drawer again in our lives. Right? Let's, let's dust it off if it's deep in your darkest corner and bring it out and put it back into the top drawer. That's what this week is really all about, is bringing prayer back into the top drawer because he does respond. Even when we have to work it through sometimes, it is true that he is the one who responds. I, I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing, and, and I think my first great understanding of this came to me as a very young man in my early 20s. Not that long ago. Well, actually, it was a long time ago. Um, and I was 21 years old. Uh, I was born and raised here, but I went over to the UK uh, in my very early 20s. And in the first year or two that I was over there, I joined a group of young people, maybe, I don't know how many there was now, maybe 14, 15 of us, and for a 12-month period of time, we did outreach. We just shared about what, who Jesus is and what he'd done for us. For, for 12 months, it's what we did full-time. It was the first New Frontiers evangelistic team they ever did. And, uh, and I was on it. And so for a year, we would be preaching on the streets, we'd be sharing about Jesus in schools or universities or wherever we could, we'd just share about who Jesus is. 
And then halfway through the year, we had this amazing opportunity to go to one of the largest secondary schools in the south of England, where we were based at the time, one of the largest secondary schools, and they said, you could come in and do what you like. You can share about your faith. Amazing opportunity. Probably wouldn't get it these days. So we went. And that meant this. What it looked like was over a four-day period, we were allowed to go in early every day, and the whole school would assemble in the main hall. And uh, these 14 or 15 on this team, they were very talented, uh, apart from me, but no, they were very talented. They could sing, they could do drama. It was an, an amazing, talented group of people. And every day they were allowed to go in front of the assembly for half an hour. They could, we could sing, we could do drama, we could preach, we could share. And then throughout the morning, we were allowed to go around each of the classes and talk about who Jesus is and, and we could share. And then, at lunchtime, we were given a class to ourselves where we could just catch everybody who kind of wanted to give their lives over to God on the basis of what they heard through us. Right? As a classroom, people could respond and we could lead them through to Jesus. And so for four days, so of course, it was a great opportunity. We, we prepped for it like mad. We rehearsed. We planned. We put programs out to the school days before we were due to arrive. High quality. It was amazing. And then the very first day happened and the assembly, first assembly happened and, and the team sang and they did drama and they preached and it was mighty and we went around classes and then at lunchtime in this empty classroom, me and a few others, me about three or four others, maybe four or five even, we were there in our classroom waiting for lunchtime to hit because we thought when lunchtime hits we're just going to help people through to know God. You know, people like we're going to just field all these kids who are going to come through. Well, the hand reached 12, the lunch bell went, and we're waiting, and, uh, and no one turned up. It was nothing, not even a, a sound outside the door. It was silence, and uh, it was very, very um, dis discouraging and disappointing. Anyway, we went back home, second day arrives. Whole program goes through again, mighty drama, mighty singing, mighty preaching. And there we are at lunchtime, a bit more tentatively now, waiting for these kids to arrive and, and nothing, nothing happened. We were so discouraged after all this work. Third day arrives. We go through the motions now. It's not quite so exciting, but they're still trying with the best they could, sing, dance, drama. Going around the classrooms, there we are, there's only three of us now in the classroom, waiting, nothing. So at the end of that afternoon, I remember we got back so terribly discouraged. Our hearts had dropped to our shoes. And we're just staring at each other, and this is late in the afternoon, four o'clock, and I remember somebody said, maybe we should pray. <laughs> and it was very much, it was very much like, well, we've tried everything else. And so we began to pray. And so we prayed at four, we prayed through till five, we prayed through till six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Midnight passed. We were desperate. We were so disappointed and desperate. After midnight, we crawled back to bed, wiped out, because it's been a very tiring week. Next day, we get up shattered and we. We go through the motions, you know, we're absolutely wiped out. Last day, they are singing, croaky voices, eh. Lunchtime, there's me in the classroom and two others by then. We're just looking at the floor. Clock hits 12, lunch bell goes off. And I still remember hearing a little sound. And I looked up and the sound was well, a shuffling. And, and in the door had glass in the door. 
And then I suddenly was aware that there were faces pressed against the glass trying to get in. And we opened the door and the whole corridor, corridor was full of kids. <laughs> and they came avalanching in. They suddenly came avalanching in. And there's, there's three of us talking to groups of people who want to give their life to Jesus. It was the most remarkable turnaround. And we're talking as fast as we could. We get word down to everybody else, you better come up fast. They came running up. And throughout the whole of that lunch hour and into the afternoon, I kid you not, we were telling people how to respond as fast as we could as they were giving their lives to the Lord. It was the clearest moment of breakthrough I had ever seen. It was breakthrough. And it taught me so clearly, yeah, we can practice and perfect programs, but it's when we pray that heaven responds and breakthrough comes. And I saw that repeated again and again in other situations on and, on and off since. And actually the thing about this story that, that I wanted to mention and that struck me and strikes me still it's not just that we prayed, it's the sense of urgency we felt as we prayed. That desperate sense of God, you must break through. You must break through. And that's the second thing I wanted just to get across this morning. You see, the Bible clearly teaches us that prayer is a practical tool for change. That's the promise. But it also teaches us that breakthrough prayer Prayer that genuinely receives the full answer has a quality about it that is more than just snapping your fingers or pressing a button. There's a quality of earnestness and fervency and I want to say authenticity and humility that God loves to respond to. In fact, Jesus specifically teaches that. And this is where I really want to go back to the Luke passage I mentioned at the start. So Luke, the 11th chapter, going back to that passage, Jesus talks about this. And if you know Luke, the 11th chapter, you'll know that it's this great chapter on prayer, famous prayer chapter. Want to find out about prayer? Go to that chapter. And uh, very famous, I mean, it starts with the famous prayer of all, Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, begins with that. A wonderful block of teaching. Another block of teaching it comes up with very famous, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Very famous blocks of teaching. But in between those two blocks of teaching, Jesus tells a story, a very short story. And I want to just mention the story to you and explain it to you. And Julian's going to read the story to us so you get a, a break from me talking. And I put the story up on the screen. And this is a story, a simple story from Jesus about this issue. Thanks, Julian. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Excellent. Thanks, Julian. 
Simple story. What's it about? Well, number one, it's about a friend who turns up at your door late at night or just at the end of a, end of a day. A friend who turns up on your doorstep and he's journeyed a long way and Jesus says, what would you do? All right, so, so if you think about that, what would you do? What would I do? I thought about this. I thought, well, if a friend knocked on my door after a long journey, well, I would welcome them in because I'm friendly. So I would welcome them. I'd say, take your shoes off if you want to. I'd, I'd say, come into the lounge, put your bags down. I'd give them a cup of tea and a biscuit, a good biscuit. All right, not the usual biscuits I say. For, anyway, don't worry about that. But, but I would give them, and then if it was near tea time or meal time, I'd say, hey, stay for a meal. And I would, I'd say, here, and I'd present them with a meal. I'd make them a pav. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't make them a pav. Julie would make them a pav. <laughs> or a creme brulee. All right, which is the other favour which I can't make. But Julie knows how to make. So I would, I would give them food. That's what most of us would do, wouldn't we? We would do that. Well, if you put this story back into its historical, cultural context, ancient Israel, just to say the sharing of food is massively more important than just that. All right? More important than in a European-based culture. I mean, in ancient Israel, and in many cultures actually, sharing food is about, it's about connection. It's about honouring the guest who comes and honouring the friendship that you have. It's very, very important. And uh, I know Tatenda has shared this, Tatenda who's from Zimbabwe, if you don't know, uh, when they first, she and Francis first came to the church. Uh, I remember the first uh, few times I went to visit them in their home and I would make it very clear on the phone, I'm just coming by, I've eaten, don't worry about that, I'm just coming by and I just want to say hello. And each time I turned up, there'd be this massive spread of food on the dinner table. And I thought, but I told you I've eaten. And then, okay, the, the second time, the same, I, said, I said very clearly the second time, I would have eaten, uh, but I'm just coming by. She'd go, okay. Phone goes down. I arrive, massive spread of food on the dinner table. Now, the first time it happened, I just ate pretending I hadn't eaten the first time. I thought, well, I don't know how full you feel after that. Well, the second time, I thought, I can't do this. I said, Tendra, I've eaten. She said, I know. And then I never forget what she said to me. She said, Pete, you've got to understand, sharing food is how we deepen our fellowship. It's what we do. It's how we connect. It's very important. So I said, oh, I, I, okay, to tender, I get it. And that's what you've got here in this culture, in the scriptures. So not to have food is, is, is a very bad thing. It's bad form. It's dishonoring. And so in effect, Jesus goes on to say, look, look supposing someone turned up at your door and you don't have any food, what would you do? Well, well, surely you go to one of your friends nearby, knock on his door and get some food. Even if you do it at midnight, you'll do it because it's important. Now, in any culture, to knock on someone's door at midnight to ask for food is a bit off. All right, you wouldn't like it, would you? Oh, we could try it, homework tonight, go and knock on somebody's door and ask for some food, but not ours. All right, you would, it, it's hard, it, is, it would be awkward to do that, wouldn't it? It would be hard. Nobody wants to be woken up and hauled out of bed at midnight. Point is, Jesus is saying, as awkward as it is to knock on this guy's door and ask for food, you'll do it because it's urgent. You need to get food. You'll do the awkward thing, the desperate thing to make it happen, and you won't be put off. You will press through. And then you get this amazing statement. Jesus, 
He says this in, in bold there. He says, Jesus says, look, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other words, look, your friendship with this guy, the one you want to get out of bed to give you the food, may not be enough to get him up to help you. But you can be sure of this, your shameless audacity will get him up to move and give you all your need. All you need. It's that phrase, shameless audacity. It's a wonderful phrase, shameless audacity. It means shamelessly unwilling to be put off. That's really what it means. It's the attitude that says, I will not let you go. I will not back off. I'm not leaving until you give me what I need. And Jesus is saying, that's the heart that gets the response. And the application of the prayer, of course, is obvious. What Jesus is saying is, look, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to, to breakthrough, when it comes to receiving answers from heaven, look, don't merely rely on your standing with God, the fact that you are his child, that he loves you. Look, as wonderful as that is, don't passively sit back on that. There is such a thing as shameless audacity, shamelessly unwilling to be put off, that moves the heart of God to action. In other words, there is something in God that says, I want my children to pursue me. I long for them to get beyond this push-button superficial age. I want them to lay hold of me. I want a people who are urgent and desperate for me so that I can answer them completely. And it's in the light of that that Jesus goes on to say, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, because that's the tense. Knock and keep knocking. And the promise then is for those who pursue me, there will be an answer. You will find the door will be open. Your prayer will break through. I will be moved to action. And that's what this week is about. It's about laying hold of God. It's about shameless audacity. It's about bringing before him the things that are truly urgent to us and calling on him to move. Now look, just for a second before I close, I want to ask you this morning, deep down, everyone here, you will have a need. Everyone in this room, somewhere, somehow, you will have things that you are yearning for, that you are urgent about, that you may not want to share with anyone else. You mums, it's Mother's Day. Let me ask you, what is it in you, deep down, that you long for more than anything else? Maybe it's to do with your kids. You long to see them grow up healthy and strong. You long for them to know Jesus and love him. Or maybe you're a mum and your kids aren't walking with the Lord. And you'll know the desperation of that. Certainly as parents, I know the desperation of that. Male or female, mum or not, maybe it's to do with the person you're married to, your marriage. Maybe things have plateaued. Maybe things aren't how they once were. Maybe you're lonely. You know, the loneliest person in the world is, is someone who's married to someone else and it's going badly. You can be the loneliest person in the world. Maybe you don't have anyone, but you are longing for someone. 
Maybe you've just lost your way this morning and you're here, but you're not really here because you'd rather be somewhere else. Maybe it's your job. Maybe things have fallen off the tracks and maybe the stress is keeping you awake at night. Look, whatever it is this week, look, this week, let it be a week of shameless audacity, of laying hold of God for breakthrough. And, uh, and can I just ask this as well and think about this for the one or two people who aren't yearning for anything. Look, what about the things you're not desperate for that deep down you know you should be desperate for? You see, there are things close to God's heart, aren't there, that aren't always close to ours. His heart is that all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. His heart is for his presence and power to be fully restored to his church and his church to be glorious. His heart is for his kingdom to come in power on earth as it is in heaven. His heart is that none should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. And listen, I'm the first to confess to you that my heart, there are times when it's not as engaged with this as much as I would like it to be. I find that this world and the things in it, I don't know about you, but they can kind of sap you of passion for God. They can sap you. Sometimes life, paying the bills, getting the kids through school, it can sap you of the deep yearnings of God. So in these coming days, you know, I don't know about you, but I want to bring myself before God and ask him to come upon me and take me deeper in his passion for the things that he is passionate about. I do not want to drift back into mediocrity. God save us from that. God restore, renew us in passion, full of his spirit and power. And if you feel the same way, can I ask you, come, join us. Tonight, Tuesday night, in your connect group, next week, God, come upon us. In fact, even now, come upon us. We come to you with shameless audacity, Father, and we lay hold of you and we say, come. Will you join me in that this week, even now? In fact, can I ask you to stand where you are right now? Because you see, God loves you with a profound love. In fact, he loves you this way. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. And maybe you're kind of on the outside looking in. You kind of come to church and you see what's going on. But you know you've never laid hold of God for the big prayer. And that big prayer is God save me. Lord Jesus come into my life. Forgive me. Take my life and make me your child. Bring me into your family take my life and use it for your glory. Maybe you've not prayed that big prayer. Come to God with shameless audacity that says, God, please do it now. Come upon me in the power of your Holy Spirit. You may have been coming to church for years and you've never prayed that. Meant it from your heart. You can do it right now. And your eternity will change. 
because until you do that, you're going one way towards a lost eternity. You may be a very nice person, but you know that your sin, your basic problem, which is sin, the thing that keeps you from God, your independence, your pride, is, is keeping you from his forgiveness. And that way is a lost eternity. But if you cry out this morning, save me, your eternity changes, turns on its head. You become his child. You're on your way through to a found eternity. Saved out of futility into destiny. It can happen just like that. You can do that this morning. But I just know, you see, this subject is on God's heart. So I feel this too, that the things I mentioned earlier, things that you've been yearning for that you need breakthrough on, I believe God would come to you even now and begin to work and set it free and bring it through. Because this subject is close to his heart. Even now. So if that's you, forget about the person next to you. Father, we stand before you this morning. And you know our hearts, Lord. We can't hide from you. We can seem so together in front of everybody else, but you know our hearts. And you know our yearnings. And Father, we just say to you, there are some areas that, God, we need you to break through on. We need heaven to answer. And we want to give ourselves to laying hold of you and shameless audacity. We come not just to a friend's house at midnight. We come before the throne of God and say, Lord, we're here. We're here at your invitation. And we're asking you for breakthrough. Will you come in the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name? Amen. In Jesus' name.